Turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We started a study on the 12 disciples last Wednesday. And I was telling Josh today, I've been preaching so many expositional sermons through Psalms and, and oh good, we got the screens up here. Through Psalms and, uh, you know, 1 Samuel and Mark. It's kind of refreshing, I think, for me, maybe for you too, just to get in more of a character study and just a different approach uh, to, to a midweek service here for uh, 12, 13 weeks or however long we stay in this. And that's what this is tonight. It's just kind of a topical uh, character study of the very first disciple that, that we'll be looking at. I want to see if you can guess who said this quote, or at least what popular show that, that this quote came from. And it comes from a popular show in 1978. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. The Incredible Hulk. Now, now this, is, this is from the show, right? It's just like the original, right? Where, where Bill Bixby played the character named David Banner. How many were alive and you want to admit that when that? Okay, very good. A lot of you in here, good. You know how it went, right? David Banner got angry and then his eyes turned green and, and, and then, then his buttons would pop out of his shirt. And, and before you knew it, this nice, normal, everyday looking guy would turn into this muscular, mean, incredible Hulk. And what's unique about this show is that Bill Bixby actually played two different people, two different personalities. One was nice and sweet and one was mad and angry. And tonight we're going to be studying what I would call the incredible Hulk of the 12 disciples. Who do you think it is? Simon Peter. At times, Peter seemed to be two very different people, didn't he? I mean, think about it. No other disciples uh, is so frequently rebuked by the Lord as Peter. And no disciple ever rebukes the Lord except Peter. No one else confessed Christ more boldly or acknowledged his lordship more explicitly. Yet no other disciple verbally denied Christ as forcefully and as publicly as Peter did. Two different people. No one is praised and blessed by Christ the way Peter was, but yet no other disciple was called Satan but Peter by Christ. So he seemed to have two personalities at times. I mean, he even had two names, just like the incredible Hulk did. And by the way, that was intentional. His birth name was Simon, but his nickname is given to him by the Lord Jesus was Peter. Look at Luke chapter 6 by way of introduction at this list that we looked at. And I, I, I was counting on the screen working. So if you see me looking back, this is why I'm looking back. Verse 13, and when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. And of them he chose 12, whom also he named apostles. Look who's at the head of the list. And how Luke words this. Simon, whom he also named Peter. Now Luke's choice of words is important because Jesus didn't merely give a new name to replace the old name. He also named him Peter, Luke says. So, the, so, so Peter was sometimes known as Simon and then sometimes known as Peter. Why is that? Well, when Jesus calls him Simon, and by the way, Jesus didn't stop calling him Simon after he named him Cephas or Peter. So when he called him Simon, it was on purpose. And there was a subtle message Jesus was sending in calling him by that birth name. If he called him Simon, he was signaling to him that he was acting like his old self. 
For instance, when Peter confidently told Jesus, I'll never deny you, look at how Jesus responded in Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, when, when Peter should have been watching and praying with Christ, he fell asleep. Jesus was disappointed, and Mark writes what Jesus said. He said, Simon, sleepless thou, couldst thou not watch one hour? So Jesus called him Simon at times when he was acting like Simon. But then he also nicknamed him Peter. That name means rock. The Greek word literally means piece of rock. The Aramaic equivalent was Cephas. And that's in John chapter 1. Look in your Bible at verse 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. His first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Now I begin to ask myself, why did Jesus give this disciple a nickname? It, it seems like to me that Jesus gave him a nickname because he wanted this nickname Peter to be a perpetual reminder to Simon of what he ought to be. And by God's grace, what he could be. I read a story about Tommy Lasorda, the former manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And he tells the story of a young skinny pitcher who is new in the Dodgers minor league system. This young pitcher was somewhat timid, but he had an extraordinarily powerful and accurate arm. Lasorda was convinced that this young pitcher had the potential to be one of the greatest pitchers ever. But Lasorda says the young man needed to be more fierce. He needed to be more competitive. He needed to lose his timidity. So Lasorda gave him a nickname that was exactly opposite of his personality. And that nickname was Bulldog. Over the years, that is exactly what Earl Hershiser became. One of the most tenacious competitors who ever took the mound in the major leagues. The nickname Bulldog became a perpetual reminder from his manager of what he ought to be. And before long, it shaped his whole attitude. I think that's kind of what the Lord was trying to accomplish by giving Simon the nickname Peter. He's trying to call him to what he ought to be and what Jesus saw that he could be. You see the two phrases in verse 42. Jesus says, thou art Simon. But then he says, thou shalt be called Cephas or Peter. Jesus is saying, hey, I know who you are. I know you don't know me personally, and I, I'm not supposed to know you, but because I'm God, I do. You're Simon, and I know all the baggage that comes with Simon. I know about Simon's loud mouth, and I know about Simon's untempered zeal, and I know about Simon's know-it-all attitude, and I know about Simon's prideful arrogance. I know who you are, Simon. But then he said, I also know who you can become, Peter. I can strengthen you. I can build you. I can mold you. I can make you into a rock. Church, aren't you thankful tonight that though God sees and knows who you are, weaknesses and all better than you know yourself, he can still see and is still willing to make you into what he wants you to become. Isn't that a blessing? The theological term for that is sanctification. I'm thankful that God never gives up on sanctifying me. 
Every square inch of me, he wants to make rock solid. But I still have a lot of Simon in me. And you still have a lot of Simon in you. But God sees what you can become if you will get on the potter's wheel and let him go to work on transforming your life from the inside out. So what we're going to do to study Peter tonight with our time remaining is look at six character qualities that Jesus developed in Simon Peter. And I think that these might be some of the same character qualities that the Holy Spirit right now is trying to develop in you and transform in you. Well, I know I'm not Simon Peter. I'm not extroverted. I'm not loud. I'm not impulsive. Well, just hold on a second. Because there are some quiet Simon Peters too. And, 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 and his weaknesses take place in both personalities. Introverted and extroverted, they just are displayed different. So let's study these qualities. Here's what Jesus taught him first, submission. Write that down, submission. You know, if you know Peter, he had a dominant personality. That means he was confident, he was aggressive, he was inclined to take control of every situation that he found himself in. And so in order to balance that side of him, the Lord taught him this character quality of submission. And one of the ways that I want to study where he did that was Matthew 17. Would you turn there? It's going to be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. If you have your Bible, I'd like for you to turn there if you could. Uh, Matthew chapter 17. And just, just a few short verses, Jesus teaches him this idea of submission when everything inside of you is arguing against what you should do in submission, you should still submit. And Jesus teaches him that. Look at Matthew chapter 17, verse 24. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money, that's tax money, came to Peter and said, doth not your master, talking about Jesus, doth not Jesus pay tribute? So, so, so look up here. A tax collector was in town and he was making his rounds to collect the annual tax for each person that was at least 20 years old and older. This tax was specifically for the upkeep of the temple. They say it was equal to two days wages, so it was no small amount. And the tax collector asked Peter, in essence, hey, is Jesus going to pay taxes? And Peter assured him, yes. Yes, he will. Look at verse 25. He saith, yes. Now look up here. Peter confidently said yes. But Jesus knew that in his mind he was struggling with the idea of the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God having to pay temple taxes. Because Peter knew this, watch, that, that if you were the son of an earthly king in that day, you wouldn't be taxed. So why should the son of a heavenly king, why should the son of God have to be taxed? So Jesus took time to teach Peter. It's amazing that Jesus knows what we're thinking. And so he knew Peter said yes with his mouth, but he was thinking no in his heart. And so he said, let me teach you. Peter, what, 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 what you should be thinking. Look at verse 25. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him saying, what thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, then are the children free. So let me, let me explain. Jesus spoke to Peter what he was already thinking. And Jesus even agreed with him to an extent. He claimed that, that like children of the king are free from taxes, so is the Son of God. And if he desired, Jesus had absolute authority to opt out of the temple tax. But if he did that, it would send the wrong message as far as earthly authority is concerned. So, so then it would be better, I'm about to show you this, 
for Jesus to submit, pay the tax and avoid the situation most people wouldn't understand. And so he goes on to teach Peter that, that just because I should or, or, or just because I could doesn't mean I should. And let me show you why. Look at the miracle he works in verse 27. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast an hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take and give unto him for me and thee. You'll find in other gospels that, that the coin in the mouth of the fish was worth a shekel. It was, this is crazy. It was exactly enough to pay the temple tax for two both Jesus and Peter. And so through this miracle, I hope you're following this. Jesus demonstrated his absolute sovereignty. Yet at the same time, he was being an example of human submission. Tell me what human person can cause a hook to, to grab just the right fish who has just the right amount of shekels in his belly. Only a sovereign one can do that. Yet at the same time, he taught Peter, I'm not going to opt out of taxes. People, they won't understand. It's best for me to submit willingly, even though I don't have to. And this would be a character quality that Peter would need to learn if he was going to be used by God. And listen to me, it's a character quality every one of us need. The idea of humble submission. In marriage, you need it. Remember in Ephesians chapter 5, before Paul ever tells the wife to submit, he tells us to submit ourselves one to another. I'm talking about mutual submission in marriage. The husband submits to the wife by loving her like Christ loved the church, which involves leading her and praying for her and sacrificing for her and protecting her and dwelling with her according to knowledge. The, the wife submits to her husband by reverencing him and his leadership in the home, which involves the, the laying aside of her desire to be in charge and in control. It involves a willingness to lift up her husband instead of tearing down her husband. It involves influencing her husband through her respect and chaste conversation instead of her nagging and manipulating. Your marriage, your marriage would change almost overnight if you would learn to willingly submit to one another. At work, we need to learn to submit willingly even when it's very difficult. That's not just for the employee, that's for the employer too. Because submission for an employer means servant leadership, not dictatorship. It means patience when your employees mess up and not constant irritation that intimidates them to never mess up again. To the employee, submission means you do what you're told and you do it the way you're told to do it. That's a novel idea. It means you resist the temptation to be a maverick and a rebel and do things your way because you're stubborn. It means you respect your boss to his face and you respect your boss behind his back, even if he hasn't earned it, because submission is about respecting the position, not just the person. In church life, submission means you minister with a servant's heart. It means you submit to a particular way in which you're asked to do ministry, not make up your own way. It means you submit to being faithful and, and punctual to your ministry. In fact, what you're choosing to do right now in this very moment is an act of, of spiritual submission. You're placing yourself under spiritual leadership. You're placing yourself under the authority of the word of God in your life. Peter learned the lesson. Because years later, he would write this in 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 18. Submit yourselves 
to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Come on. As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Two more verses. Honor all men. This is the guy. This is the guy that didn't want Jesus to pay taxes. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. God was able to transform this lack of submission in Peter's life so much so he could say something like that under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Character quality number two that God transformed in his life, and that was self-control. Self-control. You know Peter struggled with hot-headedness. He struggled with anger. He struggled with speaking too soon or acting too quick. By the way, lest you think that self-control is only a problem with a spewer, let me talk to you stewers. Because you lack self-control too. You roll your eyes. Okay, I know you don't slam your door, but you roll your eyes. I know you don't scream, but you go. <sighs> and I know you don't like to argue. You just like to give the silent treatment for four days. By the way, all of those are just as much a lack of self-control as somebody that punches a hole in the wall. They're just polished. They're disguised. They're more subtle. Do you remember the scene in the garden where Peter tried to decapitate Malchus? The Roman soldiers, you remember that? You know why that was so crazy? Because he was surrounded by hundreds of Roman soldiers all armed to the teeth. And he thought he could just, just go brave hard on everybody and start chopping heads off. Well, Malchus ducked and Peter got his ear. If you remember, Jesus put Malchus's ear back together and, and he rebuked Peter while he was doing it. And I'm telling you, that rebuke would have been deeply painful because it was coming in front of the enemies Peter wanted to chop off their heads. It was a lesson on self-control, saying, Peter, put the sword back up. I'm God. I could speak and they would all fall over. I wouldn't just take his ear off. I could stop his heart. Put the sword back up. And thankfully, Peter learned the lesson. Look what he later wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Verse 22. Who did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. And look what Peter wrote. Who, who when, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. How different is that tone from the young man who pulled out his sword and started whacking the heads off of his oppressors, or at least trying I wonder if self-control tonight is one of the character qualities that Jesus is trying to teach you right now. Are you hasty? Quick to speak? Impulsive? Angry? Let me dig a little deeper here. Are you hasty in how you spend your money? Are you quick in forming opinions or jumping to conclusions or getting defensive? Are you easily offended? Are you easily angered? Are you prone to holding a grudge? Do you find yourself speaking up too quick? Do you find yourself too harsh? Speaking too much? 
Are you overly competitive? And when put into a competitive situation, do you lose a measure of your self-control? Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Meaning that if it doesn't come natural to you, that's okay. The Spirit can produce it in you. It's called temperance. And I believe it it should be an ever-present trait in the life of anyone who claims to be a disciple. Character trait number three, humility. Jesus taught Peter humility. So, So Peter had this aspect of his personality naturally that was very powerful, and it's called confidence. He had a lot of confidence, didn't he? And confidence is okay. That's, I, I think a lot of the reason why Jesus made Peter the ringleader is because Jesus saw in his God-given personality a natural inclination to have the confidence to fix things and do things and take action and speak up. The problem with Peter is that his confidence turned into arrogance sometimes. And his confidence turned into self-confidence and pride sometimes. But thankfully, uh, Jesus went to work on that because when Peter stood before him and said, I'll never deny you, um, just just look at it. Matthew 26, I'm going to show you this. Jesus said, you guys are going to deny me, you're going to forsake me. Peter said, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Now, I know you know this, but go to the next verse. Peter said unto him, though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all The disciples, I just have a feeling they didn't say it as confidently as Peter did. We know that Peter was wrong. Here's what made this failure extra humbling for Peter is because he was extra arrogant about not denying Jesus. Thankfully, though, Jesus used his failure to humble him. I know it humbled him because later he wrote this in 1 Peter 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with. What's that next word? For God resisteth the proud. Peter learned this. But he giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Has God ever let you fail to teach you a lesson on pride? Has God ever let you make a mess of a situation to temper the, the, the weak parts of your personality? Can I tell you two areas that God keeps doing that over and over in my life? You know what they are? Marriage and pastoring. I'm being honest with you. I've known, Jenny and I made this commitment. And I'm wishing now I would have never made this commitment to her. But we made this commitment that we are going to fight more for each other's holiness than each other's happiness. We made that commitment to each other after we read this book called Sacred Marriage. And when we made that commitment to each other, I I didn't know how serious she would take it. But I'm thankful she does. My wife's not prone to be a nagger. It's it's not her personality. So for her to come to me and, and introduce a weakness to me, or something like, that's not, that's not the way she works. She would much rather just live with it. But because we committed to each other's holiness more than each other's happiness, um, I am being reminded by the Holy Spirit through her of the areas in which I'm not good as a husband sometimes. I am proud to report, not arrogant, just confident. <laughs> I am proud to report that, that my, my listed failures are less than they used to be. 
Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm improving. Um, but there, there was a season of our marriage after that commitment where I didn't even see all these areas in me as a husband. And she helped me see these blind spots after I gave her permission. You know, it is one, you got to kind of be approachable. After I, I was approachable and, and, and it, it goes two ways. I mean, I've, I've at least confronted her two times in the last 15 years. <laughs> she's, sinned, she's sinned at least two or three times. And, and, and we, it's just amazing how God sometimes uses my failure. I don't think he intends for me to fail. But he takes that failure. And every time it's like he just takes a chisel and just, just chisels one little piece off of me. Tempers a, a, a little part of my personality a little bit more. And then pastoring came along. I'm only a few months into this gig. And I'm realizing real quick, I am prone to making some mistakes. Now here's where I'm prone, like leading the staff. I, didn't, I, I just underestimated how easy it is to say the wrong thing in the wrong way at the wrong time. Um, I, now I don't just preach once a week. I preach three times a week, about 3,500 words per sermon. So you do the math that I'm speaking thousands of words and I'm trying to be filtered with every one of them. And on Sunday nights, I, I, I go home and most of the time I'm thinking, why did I say that that way? If somebody comes back next Sunday, it's going to be a miracle. And, and, and then to, to, to handle a situation, uh, maybe not the best way that I should have handled it, for something to sneak up on me because I didn't have good organization or preparedness and, and, and volunteers suffer because of it. Those kind of things. I'm just, I think God is using these things on a regular basis to tell me, hey, buddy, you're not as good as sometimes you think you are. And I would let failure do the same thing in your life. I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to buck at it. I wouldn't try to argue against it. I, I wouldn't try to excuse it away. I wouldn't try to dodge any kind of those hard conversations. I would almost say this, bring them on. Help me, chisel me. When, when you fail, just let it be a schoolmaster to you. Don't get down in the dumps and quit on yourself. Just say, hey, I'm going to let it just make me a little bit better. Let it humble you. And fill you with that kind of humility. Character quality number four. Woo, we got to hurry. Loving service. Peter was a natural leader, right? I, I really, man, I don't want to skip this. That meant he was, in, he was comfortable being in front of people. He was comfortable ordering people around, giving direction. It's proven, right, in Acts chapter one, when he reorganized the church after Judas hung himself. And they had to find a 12th disciple, or apostle rather. Peter took charge. He got the job done. But you know one weakness to that natural personality type? Here it is. It's you begin to see people as a means to your end. And so the tendency would be for Peter to get so task-oriented that he would neglect to be people-oriented. So he would use people and plow over people in order to achieve his goals if he wasn't careful. And so Jesus knew he had to, he had to teach Peter how to serve people. How to love people in this way. So they gathered them in the upper room. They were celebrating the Passover. And, and I'm not going to read it, but, but I'm, in John chapter 13, you can write it down. Um, Jesus went to cleaning the disciples' feet. And most of the disciples were in this stunned silence, right? As they saw Jesus literally putting his finger in between their dirty toes. What are you going to say when God does that? They had nothing to say, but guess what disciple had something to say? He basically told Jesus, don't wash my feet. You know why he said that? Because here's what Peter is thinking. God doesn't do that. 
The Son of God doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. So stop it. And, and, and Jesus had to teach him a powerful lesson that said, oh yeah, Jesus does that because Jesus is a servant. Jesus does that because Jesus loves people. And the servant is not greater than his master. Or the master is not greater than the servant, whatever he said. You get the point, right? In other words, people who are in charge get low. And they love and they serve people. And here's what Jesus knew. Peter needed this lesson really, really bad because his personality type was to use people and plow over people and put a number on people instead of look at the heart. Instead of love people and serve people. And Peter learned it. I I do want to share this verse with you. Hannah, go to 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10 real quick. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. He learned the lesson. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Look at the next verse. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Have you learned this lesson? I'm not asking if you serve. I'm asking if you're a servant. There's a difference. I'm not asking if it's what you do. I'm asking if it's who you are. There's a difference. We all know what we're supposed to do at church. We all know what we get paid to do at work. We all know what the Bible says we should do in our marriage. But is it who you are? Is your life about lovingly serving other people? Is that that your DNA? Is that something you've learned? Is that something God has put in you? Yeah, that's a good question. Here's the fifth one, compassion. Compassion. Peter wasn't inclined to be a compassionate person. Now, he was inclined to be a passionate person but not a compassionate person. And and I think this is why Jesus let him fall and fail in in such embarrassing ways over and over and over. Remember when he stepped outside of the boat and walked on the water and then he sank in front of all of his buddies? Remember that? He cut off Malchus's ear and Jesus rebuked him in front of everybody. Like like terribly embarrassing things. Um, Boy, I could go on, but the point is this. Slowly but surely... Through all these embarrassing personal failures, Peter learned people aren't perfect. And you know how he learned that? Because he wasn't. And then Jesus was compassionate with him when he wasn't perfect. And over time, and it took a while to get into his thick skull, but over time, Peter said, oh, I need to to show that same patience with other people. Isn't that amazing that we are so impatient with people, but we expect people to be so patient with us? And, and that's, where, that's where Peter was. But look what he said in 1 Peter 5, verse 8 through 10. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You've heard that verse, verse 9. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. He's talking to people that are being persecuted. And he says, but the, this is so comforting. The God of all grace, who hath called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen Settle you. So so Peter learned this aspect of comfort and grace and compassion that he was shown so regularly by Jesus Christ. And and man, I I could just, I could talk about all kinds of areas in our life where, where sometimes we are prone to be impatient and harsh and short and irritable. Remember in marriage you said, for better or for worse, But maybe in marriage, you're just sick of the worst part. And you're like, when's the better going to roll around? 
Be compassionate with your spouse. Parents, you understand there's a time to be stern and firm with our kids. It's just not all the time. Show compassion with your kids. Some of you lead, lead a team at work. Some of you have employees that are under you. Some of you have students, athletes. You have people that look up to you and, and, and they take their cues from you. And, and, and this is something you need to let God develop in you is a sense of compassion for them. Like, like it's intimidating. It just is. It's intimidating whenever the person above us is constantly irritated and, and constantly demanding. And we can never quite be enough. Like there has to be a measure of God-given compassion. I, keep, I have high expectations and I, I am so identified with Simon Peter here because, because I can have high expectations and I can blur the line between excellence and perfection. Perfection's never possible, but for some reason I think it should be. Excellence is just trying your best. But even sometimes when we try our best, it doesn't work. Screens mess up. Right? And it's very, very intimidating and really oppressing working for someone and we can't quite ever do a good enough job. It's also really oppressing being married to somebody that we can't quite ever please. It's really oppressing for our kids to, to have to always feel like they're that much short of pleasing their parents. Right. Show a measure of compassion. Let God build that in your heart and be reminded on a regular basis that the same compassion you expect and desire from people around you. And even when you were younger, coming up and learning things, the same measure of compassion that was given to you in your early days are the same amount of compassion you need to show to somebody else who's in their early days. Yeah, let me give you one more. And that's courage. Courage. After Jesus or Peter felled. Jesus, um, Jesus came to him. You might remember he cooked him breakfast and all of that. And, and then Jesus, you know, he, he, never, he never was unclear in what following him meant. I'm almost done. But he, he, he went, just straight up told Peter. He said, I, I just want you to know that if you come after me and follow me, you're going to die. Like, literally. And he, he prophesied his death. And then he said, follow me. And Peter did. You can look it up. I think John 21. And, and, and Jesus knew. The reason why Jesus knew that is because Jesus knew that Peter was going to need something more than the fickle courage that he showed sporadically and spontaneously. Right. He got out of a boat, but then he sank. He needed more than the fickle courage of pulling his sword out and trying to chop a head off and be the hero. Like that's that's superficial courage. That's impulsive. That's not Holy Spirit boldness. That's courageous stupidity at times. And he needed more than just what his personality gave him. He needed something supernatural. Because Peter, you're going to be crucified on a cross upside down for following me. And you're going to need boldness. And thankfully, Jesus gave it to him in Acts chapter 1. He gave him the Holy Spirit. And with boldness, Peter stood and preached on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people were saved. He healed a lame man. And he got put in the middle of a Sanhedrin, got put on trial for, for working that miracle. And the Holy Spirit gave him boldness to say, hey, I'm preaching in the name of Jesus Christ and I'm not going to stop. Amen. You can kill me, you can hang me, you can imprison me, but I'm going to obey God, not man. And with boldness, he said that so much so that the Sanhedrin concluded this about Peter that day. This guy's been with Jesus. You catch that? Look it up in Acts 4. That's all they could say about this dumb fisherman. 
all they could say is this guy has been with Jesus. And doesn't that portray exactly the heart of this message? Just get with Jesus. Because when you get with Jesus, he makes you into what he wants you to be. He took a man that was that was fickle in his courage at best, impulsive in his courage at best, sometimes stupid in his courage. And he made him into somebody that was filled with Holy Spirit boldness. It was Peter, by the way, that became the missionary to the Gentiles. Go read the book of Acts. Like, that's why you're in church tonight, by the way. Because Peter was a faithful missionary, a faithful preacher. It was Peter, the historians say, was crucified upside down because he said this, I am not worthy to die as my Lord died. Turn me upside down and crucified him. And it was Peter who God used to write two epistles. And ironically, Kelby, the Holy Spirit didn't name those books after his birth name. First and second Simon. He named them after his nickname that Jesus gave him. First and second rock. First and second Cephas. First and second Peter. And this is the last verse in his epistles. Look at it. And it really just sums up his life. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's kind of how he summed up his life. He said, this is me. I just got on the potter's wood and I let him spin me. And then I let him chisel me and cut me, put me back. I tried to jump off the wheel a lot of times. But so long as I stayed with Jesus, I grew. And the loud mouth, insecure, impulsive disciple became a hero of the faith and a missionary to the Gentiles. And two books of the Bible named after the man that Jesus saw he could become. And listen to me, Jesus knows who you can become too. So don't stop short. Do not stop short of who he wants. He might use somebody coming your way and telling you something you don't want to hear, but you need to hear. And accept it. It might be submission. It might be self-control. It might be humility. It might be courage. It might be compassion. It might be loving service. Are there any of these things that God is working in you right now? Did any of these things ring a bell? Any of these character qualities kind of spark something inside of you like conviction? And the Holy Spirit said, work on that. I'm trying to change you in that. Get on the potter's wheel. Jesus knows who you are but he also knows who you can become. Let him grow you in his grace. Stand to your feet.